Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So the topic of the talk today is uh, intimate awareness. And most likely, I don't think I'll get through explaining this topic in one talk. And most likely, I'll probably stay on this topic for two or three more talks to discuss the subject. And um, in 2020, we'll might have an all day on just this topic. But this came up for me. Uh, as a result of some of the discussions some of us have been having on the four foundations of mindfulness. And some of you who have been working in the uh, training program got a, um, an assignment to explain the four foundations of mindfulness in 10 minutes. That's kind of like climb the Empire State Building. <laughs> you know, like, it's a real hard climb to do something like that. But uh, we have this conversation and dialogue about uh, the four foundations of mindfulness that comes from the Satipatthana Sutta that the, from the Buddha. And one of the things, and one of the things that in this sutta, there's this refrain that gets repeated over and over and over again, for those of you who are familiar with this teaching. And I'm going to read some of it, partly, so you can get a basis for where this is going. So this is the refrain. In this way, in regards to the body, feelings, mind, dhammas, one abides contemplating the body, feelings, mind, <coughs> dhammas internally, or one abides externally, or both internally and externally. One abides contemplating the nature of arising uh, in the body, feelings, mind, dhamma, the nature of passing away, both arising and passing away. Uh, one contemplates mindfulness that there is a body and that's established for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And one imbibes independent and not clinging to anything in this world. I didn't read all of it. I just gave you a snapshot of that. But uh, it's a beautiful teaching. And it really takes your whole lifetime to unpack it. You could practice for your whole life and still not know it. And that's the beauty of the Buddhist teaching. It's a lifetime path that deepens and deepens, gets richer and richer. The older I get and the more I practice, the more beautiful and radiant this path becomes. It's never dull or uh, dry. It's um, a sweet exploration. But what the Buddha is trying to unfold is we're developing this capacity to be aware um, moment to moment without 
a mental commentary and chattering a bare awareness of what's happening directly without the mind um, doing an ongoing commentary of what's happening. Those of you uh, who remembered Howard Cosell, uh, just a few of you, a very famous sports commentator, and he, he is very energetic, and he would just uh, describe a sporting event, and he was so compelling, like, moment by moment, it, a lot of us just like to listen to him, because his commentary was so sharp and fast, he had so much energy, and a lot of us have this running commentary all the time. We're like little Howard Cosell's in there. <laughs> How is she sitting? What is she saying? Did she say, uh, uh, too much? You know what I mean? There's always like this commentary. And that commentary can cause um, a lot of suffering. And it, it takes us out of what's happening in the present moment. In a way, it blocks our clear seeing and vision. And so the Buddha is asking us to cultivate a bare knowledge, a bare attention, and clear comprehension. And he uses in the Satipatthana Sutta one of my favorite words, which is ardent. That's such a great word, ardent. And, and what that means to me is no matter what happens and how unconscious I get and how many mistakes I make and how unmindful I am and how much forgetting I do, I can come back to the cushion again, or come back to my practice again, and have um, an ardency, a energetic willingness to be there, no matter what. Even when it's super hard, and even when I feel like I fail, uh, and act in very unmindful ways. And if you're on the path of mindfulness, you're also on the path of unmindfulness, I like to say. They go together. <clears throat> there too. <laughs> right. So what is the intimate awareness is that um, through this practice, we're willing to be up close and personal with the nature of our mind and the nature of our body and our habit patterns the things that catch us and get us stuck where we're vulnerable, where we disassociate, disconnect, and defend these relational habit patterns that we have that cause us suffering. We're willing to be intimate, to see it clearly, to hold it closely, and not push it away. That takes courage and practice and humility and vulnerability and openness and energy and all those things. All those things. I was on it many all-day retreats. Uh, Victor, who used to teach in Long Beach, and I think Jane was with me, Mark was with me, and uh, we would go to uh, Palos Verdes. We had a beautiful retreat spot. From nine to five, you'd sit and walk. <clears throat> There's a lunch break and a yoga class, but it's a lot of silence, a lot of sitting and walking. And I loved those days. I, they were wonderful to me. If I could wish anything for Long Beach Group is that you would love to sit like that. Right, Claire? Yeah, I'm talking against some of you. That you would, Anthony, you would love that. You would go, God, I can't wait for the next retreat. You know, I want to be silent from 9 to 5 and practice. Like, if you guys did that, that's, I, I'd be thrilled. <laughs> 
to have a group that wanted that. I mean, it would it would be like dream come true. And I believe we will be in that space together, I hope. Anyway, that was a little zealous, not ardent. But, but one of the things he said that I loved, and I don't know if either one of you were there, he said, it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon um, when everybody's energy is waning and you're really kind of tired at that point. And he'd give his Dharma talk and he, he said, you know, if there was some technology where I could attach a loudspeaker to your forehead and every thought that you thought today what would be broadcast out and we could all hear each other, he said, God, we'd be in trouble, right? <laughs> and it's true. Like, can you imagine um, the irritation, the annoyance, the grocery list, the sexual fantasies, right? The going over what you should have done 10 years ago, how you should have done, uh, said to that relative or your mother, right? This is what happens. We have to live with a kind of insanity. You get intimate with your own insanity. <laughs> right? Your own judgments, defensiveness, habit patterns, um, difficulties, fantasies, desire. I mean, you have to be up close <coughs> and personal to practice. And for some people, they're looking for this sweet peace and no mind and calm mind, right? And you go on a retreat or you practice or you sit here for 30 minutes and it feels like you're in this loud jungle of your head, uh, just being tortured by it. This is the practice, to be able to hold this with energy, kindness, compassion, loving kindness, and to see through it with wisdom when he talks about um, not being attached to anything of this world, to learn how to let go and breathe into the silence, right? So I'll read you a quote from one of my teachers that I really love. Let me read it to you. He says, um, under normal circumstances, and this is A.H. Um, Almas, under normal circumstances, we experience ourselves only partially. We experience ourselves only partially. We don't even think that we experience ourselves only partially through the day, right? But you do. How are you experiencing yourself? Okay, he'll answer that. Uh, we do not experience ourselves as we are in ourselves in our authentic reality or our essence our beingness our presence our present moment awareness right um, instead we experience ourselves through thick veils of ideas ideals beliefs images reactions memories desires hopes prejudices attitudes, assumptions, positions, identifications, ego structures, labels, and accumulated knowledge. In other words, through the influence of all of our past experiences, we literally experience ourselves through the past, through the totality of our personal past, 
instead of freshly in the present moment. It's a dilemma for all of us. We're all caught in this. We're all caught in this way. Only when we have experienced another way of knowing ourselves is it possible to appreciate the enormous effect of all this mental baggage has on our normal experience of ourself. We see then that our awareness of ourselves has become so fragmented, so burdened by all this mental activity, that even when we, what we take to be authentically ourselves or authentic is only a reflection of a reflection. It's only a reflection of a reflection. So pause. Just knowing that frees us a little. Right? Just knowing how we get caught frees us a little. So, let's see. So he says there's a distance between knowing oneself and being oneself. That being, that present moment awareness. And the Buddha talks about coming into the present moment awareness through awareness of the body as the first foundation of mindfulness, coming into the body, right? Looking at our likes and our dislikes, the way we push and reject, that's the second foundation. The first foundation is the mindfulness, right? He gives us sort of this toolkit, looking at the mind, seeing thought as thought and getting some space around it, right? And then looking through all the objects in our consciousness through uh, the Dharma. So I want to go back to the practical here and now. One way we can practice with intimate awareness is to practice with the body. And to help you grasp that, I must say all the years I've been teaching, every time I start to talk about the body, half the room goes to sleep. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh. Check out, she's talking about the body. And, and I've said this before, but one of my dear friends came up to me and he said, God, you're always talking about the body. Like, isn't there anything else? Like, it's kind of boring, you know? And it's like, well, that's the first foundation of mindfulness. We can't, you can't escape from the body. It's attached to your head. You need the body to get here. It, we can't skip it. So um, I want to read to you a little bit from Eckhart Tolle. He does. Uh, he reflects the Buddha's words so well in his teachings. So sometimes it's good to hear another voice. So let me read a little bit about how Eckhart talks about the body, and then I'm going to give you an exercise on the body, how you can use the body. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. Um, a very effective way to become conscious of being, being in the present moment, being embodied, right, is simply to take the focus of your attention away from thinking and direct it into the body. 
where being can be felt as the invisible energy field that gives life to what you perceive as the physical body. Direct your attention inward. Have a look inside yourself. What kinds of thoughts is your mind producing? What do you feel? Direct your attention into the body. Is there any tension? Once you detect that there is a low level of unease, the background static, see in what way you are avoiding, resisting, or denying life. So use the body to tune in. I'll read another one. If a response is required in a situation, focus within and feel the inner body. You will immediately become still and present as you withdraw consciousness from the mind. And the answer or action will come up from this deeper level. Now when you think about this, in your life training from kindergarten, preschool to now, uh, when an adult needed an answer from you, young lady, young man, why did you do that behavior? Or tell me where you were, or why didn't you answer my call? Did they say, don't think in your mind, check in and feel with your body? <laughs> we never got that as an instruction, right? In, in um, our Western culture, feel your body or sense your body. or. Uh, Somebody asks you a question, they're looking for an, an answer from your mind. And you're looking from, it's mind talking to mind. And what the Buddha is saying is intimately know your mind. Know your uh, prejudices. Know your beliefs, right? Know your cultural conditioning that can be harming others. Uh, know how you're defensive, know how you're critical, know how you're limited, know how you're not seeing the whole picture, right? Know how you're not seeing the truth because your mind's up in the past and you're not getting it, right? So he's saying go beyond your mind and one way to go beyond your mind is to know your body. That's a way to get out of the mind and give yourself space to know what's going on. So I'm going to give you an example uh, to work with, and then we'll talk about that. So I'd like you to either find a comfortable posture, close your eyes, or soft gaze. <coughs> and I'd like you to draw an imaginary circle around your body. It doesn't have to be too big. A little more than a hula hoop. Or maybe a little bigger. That's your personal space. I'd like you to um, think back a little bit and call up either a person, a pet, a spiritual figure, a relative, a loved one, dead or alive. Uh, Anyone who has been a loving presence in your life, a mentor, someone who's loved you unconditionally or you get great wisdom from, could be a teacher, 
like Thich Nhat Hanh or, or for some of you Jesus or, or Mary or anybody, a loved one, a great friend, a best friend, anyone you have really positive feelings for and bring them into your circle, in your circle. And just allow yourself to sense and feel their presence, their loving presence. If you want, you can make eye contact or touch or hug, whatever you like, or just feel and sense them. Their essence, who they are, what they've brought to you, the gifts they've given you over the years and time, the wisdom you've received, the kindness you received, the safety you feel. Just allow yourself to be filled with awareness of that feeling, that sense through and see now if you can sense and feel that in your body. And now I'll ask you this question. Where in your body do you feel that love? Where in your body do you feel that kindness? And what is the felt sense? Is it warm or cold, radiating, wavy, sharp? Can you give it words? Maybe you can give it a color or a sound or an image. <coughs> and where in your body does it land? Does it land in your heart or your back or your forehead? Does it radiate through your body? Does it bring you energy? Does it deplete you? See what your body can tell you about your connection to this being. And give your body that time and energy to sense its depth and the body knowledge that it has to give you. Now I'd like you to have a final moment or two with this loved one or this being, this sweet being in our lives, and allow them to step back out of the hula hoop or your circle. And take a couple of breaths here. And now I'm going to ask you to invite another being. And this would be the irritating being. <laughs> not someone who's not safe or causes harm or that you despise or have chronic conflict with. Just somebody who irritates you a bit. Maybe someone with a cranky voice, or someone who talks too much, or someone who hurts your feelings and doesn't realize it, or someone that's high maintenance for you, or draining. And invite that person into your circle, into your hula hoop. But, you know, if you want to keep them at the edge, it's okay. And if you like, you can make eye contact. 
or just sense their presence. Maybe it's a memory of the last interchange you had with them. And now I'll ask you to scan your body and note, as descriptive as you can, what is your body feeling like right now? Where do you feel the impact of this person's interchange in your body? Are their muscles tightening? Where is it tightening? Is it softening? Is there tension? or stress. How do you know what your body's feeling? Be specific. See if you could give it a name. Tension, tightening, grasping, holding, rejecting, pushing away, tuning out, whatever it is. See if you've got it. And where? How? Become curious. Allow your body to teach you what's going on. And you might be very ready to ask this person to leave your circle and allow them to leave this space of your circle, your hula hoop. And just take another moment or two to sense your body and what that felt like. And when you're ready, you can slowly open your eyes, bring your awareness back into the room, wiggle your feet and toes, so we need a brave person to tell us what that experience was like what was that like what happened Paula well, was Sure to my favorite cat that I had many years ago. Um, 
she was a beautiful, sweet kitty. So when I pictured her, I had a really kind of cool feeling. It was like almost like a warm bubble that was not really beyond my body, just kind of like filling my whole like torso and chest area. And it felt very like, I was trying to think of a way to describe it. And I was like, how would I describe it? The best thing I could come up with, it was almost like kind of warm, almost like warm tea, but not tea, maybe something kind of fizzy. <laughs> I don't know. There's really not really words to describe it. But it was a very live, very much a live kind of a feeling. And then when I switched to, I thought of a girl who works in the office where I work, and she's very annoying. But I dislike her. She's not bad. She just has some annoying qualities about her. And she's feeling kind of anxious. So when I thought of her, I felt it all roll back. And I kind of felt like I was expansive with I was thinking of the uh, cat named Bailey. And then when I thought of this girl, I felt like it all kind of rolled back and almost like I took a step back. And it was just like me in my body, not expanded, just kind of like there. Thank you both. It's so descriptive. Thank you. Really helpful. One more. Yeah. Uh, so about 10 years ago, I started uh, a loving-kindness practice that I sometimes return to when I'm having difficulty getting into my breath or my body because the loving-kindness practice that I that I do is is I imagine hugging a person and I start with myself and then I start with somebody that I love usually my mom or my dad uh, and then I go to a difficult person and so this felt very similar to that I've had practice with it and the, the feelings that come from being with someone thinking of someone I love feels feels like a wave that takes you under in the best kind of way. That's how I feel it. Um, where I feel, I mean, I had tears coming down my face as I was thinking about the person in my circle. And then when I think about somebody who irritates me, I do feel this tightness right at the bottom, you know, like right where my diaphragm is. Like I feel this tightness and breathing into that, but I usually within my loving kindness practice then counter that by saying like over and over to them as if I'm saying it to their face, you are complete, you are whole, you are perfect just as you are. And that kind of starts to relax my body because I try to believe it as well. <laughs> it's, it's easier with the people that I love. Uh, it's harder with the people who annoy me because I'm like, you're perfect even though you drive me insane. Um, and so that's, that's what's helpful for me when, when working through that practice. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. It's really helpful. So, so I want to make a, a point. Why did we do this? Um, what is she having us do now? What does that have to do with the Buddha? Well, here's the point. The body is worth knowing, isn't it? Gave you a lot of information, didn't it? a lot. And by doing that little exercise, by going into the body and away from the mind, you're already in mindfulness. It's the first foundation of mindfulness. You're mindful. There was a pause, and you went inside and asked what's happening. And then you sense and felt in the moment what is really happening to you, the one who counts, the one who's sitting on the chair. Hello, <laughs> right? This being, the only one I got any control over possibly, possibly, right? You landed in here. 
But there was a there was a pause there by sensing and feeling. You are not going to be so reactive to whoever is in front of you, right? You have a chance to bring some wisdom in, or compassion in, or loving kindness in, or any of these beautiful qualities, generosity, compassion, right? So a person annoys you at work or in your family, and we all have a number of them because it's life, and we're not going to mouth off and say something that we regret so quick. Or we're not going to turn off and shut off to them and say, I just don't want to know that person or be in relationship. Reject them. That's it. They're out of my life. Or I'm just going to go, uh-huh, uh-huh, right? Or maybe they need compassion. Maybe they're suffering. Maybe we need to be generous, right? This gives you that information and that chance to, it's the ground of wisdom. Right? It's also a way to know when you're watching your body, was the body sensations that you had when you were with the person in your circle, was it permanent or impermanent? Impermanent. It was impermanent. It came and it went. Here and not here. It's not a fixed situation. So it's the ground of wisdom. And then we get to see, if we can see the way we're reacting in the body so quickly, we get to see what our opinion is and what our fixed view. Oh, this person is annoying. Her voice is squeaky. She talks too much. I don't like what she says. I don't, I don't like her politics, right? I don't like the way she talks about other people or money or something, right? You get to see your fixed view, that you're blocked in the moment. You're caught in your view. Right? You're caught in your view. And then you're caught. So, uh, using awareness of the body to ground and pause and to know what's happening is a way to develop non-reactivity, to break out of a habit. So maybe, just maybe, when this person annoys me, I respond in kindness. Or maybe I skillfully say to them, please don't talk to me that way. It hurts my feelings. Or can you use another tone of voice? Or maybe I protect myself in a skillful way, not a doormat. Or maybe I listen to them differently and I allow the information to fall on me without being defensive. Or maybe I'm just not so upset because I know what's happening. I feel my muscles tense and I feel myself getting defensive and my jaw tightening and I breathe and go, you know what, it's impermanent. Coming and going, cause and effect, there's suffering. You know, this is suffering right here. And maybe I can give myself the compassion I need for how hard things are. No, relationships are hard. Have you had your feelings hurt lately? Who's had their feelings hurt lately? <laughs> I got crushed by someone, not very recently. And you know, that's when you know your practice works. When you're less reactive, less attached, there's more space. And going back to Almas's comment, you don't 
see yourself through other people or your opinions. Like that mental stuff is not your self-image. Your image is presence, loving kindness, peace, here now. You don't have so much chatter about who you think you are. Such a relief, right? You're shedding off like these heavy coats of crap, shame and armor. It's like, yeah, you, you chewed me out and you know what? I still feel good. Wow. Wow. That's big. You know? It gives us a chance to rest in stillness and peace. And I have this little quote that I pick up and put down, and pick, I lose this paper, and then it comes back. It flies around my room. You know, you have one of those? Yeah. You find it in a makeup drawer, and you find it on the counter, and then you find it under the sink, and it's just like it floats up. And, and it's from The Course in Miracles. Um, and it says, it will be given you to see your brother or sister's worth when all you want for him or her is peace. And what you want for him or her, you will receive. So, these practices are liberating. They help us with non-reactivity, no harm, less suffering, more freedom, more loving-kindness, compassion towards ourself and others inwardly, outwardly. They free us up from our illusions of our mind. And all the Buddha asks, really, is that momentary, moment-to-moment willingness to practice awareness in this way. And so it's a great invitation. It's an invitation, great invitation to practice moment by moment. And mindfulness of the body, you know what? You can't live from the neck up. Come down in the body. And uh, the meditation that I gave you earlier is one way to ground and check in with the body that's relatively easy throughout the day. So I offer this teaching to you today as a way to liberate ourselves, all of us, from suffering, (laughs) the interpersonal suffering and the deep suffering. And I want to go back to your comment, which is when we have awareness that's established in the body and we see these patterns, we can then use the wisdom practice, the loving-kindness and compassion practice to change our mind to stay open, to stay kind, to stay loving, to stay skillful, right? to access the wisdom. It's practiced over and over again where we're breaking these patterns that we suffer from and we get free. Yeah. So all these practices come back and they give us um, dividends. It's like buying a good stock. <laughs> you know, we get the dividends to practice. So I will end here on that note. And we have about um, 15 minutes or so, and it would be nice because it's not a whole lot of time to just have some dialogue or questions as a big group today because I think we've run out of our time. So any questions, comments, experiences?
Anything anybody wants to say? Yes. I just have a question. Back yep. to the four foundations. Yes. The last one, so the first one's the body, the mm -hmm. second one's feelings, third one is mind, and then the fourth one is dhammas or dharmas, depending where you're talking from, right? What, in, in your view, I mean, I know it's a big topic, but what is dharma in that realm? Okay, so first of all, we want to say the second one is not feelings as emotions. It's whether it's Vedana, whether you like something, you don't like something, or you're neutral. Oh, okay. Okay? Emotions are in the third foundation. The fourth foundation is about... Uh, <clears throat> by the time you get to the fourth foundation, this is how I like to describe it, you are committed to your practice so that all phenomenon through your sense doors is seen through the Dharma, right? All phenomenon is known through the Dharma, right? Like right now I'm looking at all of you. My eye is seeing you through the sense door of seeing. Um, I get to know that there's an impermanence to it, right? Maybe I get to know that there's some suffering. I'm going to say goodbye. Where I'd really like to have you all over for lunch. <laughs> you know? I don't like saying goodbye. I want you guys to stay and let's continue <coughs> practicing together. You know, is it right? There's a clinging and a grasping. So many things are happening that one can know through your sense door. Right? Mm. Let's say... Um, Somebody, one of you said something that I didn't like, right? And I um, felt agitated or rejecting, right? That's the fourth foundation. I am agitated, I'm rejecting, I'm pushing you away, right? I don't want it. So by the time you get to the fourth foundation, you're seeing phenomenon through the Dharma. And it's, it's called, a lot of us will say there, this is in, in Theravadan, you know, there are all these lists that they list. They list the Four Noble Truths, and then they list the Eightfold Path, and then um, they list um, the factors of awakening and the hindrances. There's a million lists, but it's one way of saying when wisdom is here, there are many different ways you see your experience, phenomenon in the world. And one big way is um, you know what's you and not you. The you you take yourself to be may not be the you you think you are. It's not like you don't exist. It's just the who you take yourself to be is not fact. It's a very fluid, changing thing. And it's not fixed. Right? And we get to see what's so personal and not personal, that a lot of this is causes and conditions and not so personal. So you get to explore that in the fourth foundation through those Dhamma lists. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, Claire. I wanted to share the experience of um, having an emotion come up, like anger or anxiety, and being at a retreat not being able to talk about it or call anybody up and just sitting with it for a really long time. And it's interesting how it morphs. And that sensation that you said of being free, of being at peace, of being free from a burden that you're carrying happens. And it's happened to me and it's, it's quite amazing. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thank you for bringing that up. And, and by the way, is that not a courageous act mm -hmm. to sit in silence with something that's driving you nuts mm -hmm. and really intimately be in with it? I call that courage. Mm -hmm. You mean you can't run to the agen ice cream? I'm no. just me. <laughs> just joking. But anybody else? Well, can you expand on that a little bit? So, yeah. like, have, did you sit with anxiety or did you sit with anger? Or, like, sometimes I sit with anger and I have certain tools that I use, but can you kind of expand on when you sit with an emotion all day of how you kind of went through that, or if you don't mind? Uh, sure. Um, first, I have to become aware of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's kind of a big step of being aware of what it is that I'm feeling that's making my jaw so tense, you know? That type of thing, and then and then um, breathing into it, um, and having the sensation of pulling this emotion, this energy, because it's a very powerful energy, particularly anger, mm -hmm. down into the belly. I think they call it a dang tian, and imagining that, and breathing in and out through that. It's it's, it's not really a, a word thing; it's more of a physical. Thank you. So anybody else who works with sitting with a difficult emotion or had that experience? Because that's a great question. Does anybody else want to share on that? Yes. Well, that's actually something I've been thinking about um, the last few weeks. Because, like, Shomi doesn't talk about his feelings. And then I compulsively <laughs> talk about my feelings. And I, I, I don't think, I think it's somewhere in the middle, but I, I've been trying not to talk about my feelings, just wondering why, and I could probably, you know, I, I don't know the teachings about it, but I'm like, the reason I want to talk about my feelings, I think I'm, I get confused. I don't know what they are until I talk. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like identifying them, and then also I think they become less scary if I say them and then I'm still accepted. Um, but I'm sort of leaning towards I, I need to process them as in my body instead of, I, th I think part of the reason why when we start talking about body, there's like resistance. It, like my initial idea is like, oh, it's going to be a little boring. Like, you know, I, I've had other guided meditations where they do that and it's, I prefer, you know, having this reflection where I'm going. And I think it's because in my body, I'm, I have less control. It's like my ego wants to stay in my head. But um, yeah, I just wondered if anyone else had ideas about whether talking about, because sometimes I feel like I just rile everything up. You know, I don't know if it's recommended or not. <coughs> and then I, probably personalities vary too. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an, some, something that has helped me. Um, <coughs> with some of this that I have to learn this lesson over and over again this isn't something I got like that uh, a lot of times when I work the work is very intense I've told you shared that many times and I have this this funny kind of loneliness sets in like I just want a co-worker to fill me up or hug or you know I just want contact Right from a coworker as a way to relieve some tension, I think, uh, or reground. Like it's a craving. I just want another person. And so in the old days, I would 
walk around the office looking for somebody, <laughs> you know. And people are busy and stressed too. I mean, everybody's busy. You know, workplaces that are fast-paced and demanding. And people would kind of resent it, like, when you get out of my space, you know, it was not received well. It just wasn't skillful. And um, it was like this hunger would take over, like the hungry ghost, feed me, feed me. I've been feeding everybody now, feed me, feed me, you know. And oh, I really learned when that feeling comes up, it still comes up today, like it's almost every day, to just use touch, but my hand on my heart to stand because when I'm sitting my mind talks too much that so I like to stand and to either go outside or take a couple of breaths and feel that what's behind that and sometimes it's sadness sometimes it's overwhelm sometimes it's loneliness sometimes it's just my heart quivering for the world and myself uh, so it's just an ache and I just sit and breathe and hold it and really just do some compassion on it. You know, then maybe I could journal or get a cup of tea or call a friend or text or something. You know, you can still do stuff, but it's more metabolized. It's in the body like it's felt and known. And then it's, it, the heart kind of holds it all. And when we do that, and not easy, we begin to learn that awareness and the heart can hold a lot of stuff. We have capacity. There's more space around what we're feeling and experiencing. There's like this holding environment that is spacious through awareness, um, which happens over time. So thank you for asking. Anybody else? Claire? Uh, I've also heard from uh, another speaker at uh, Long Meditation. Uh, Tim Cullinan, yes. who says to imagine the problem or the issue or the frustration or the, the negative emotion almost like a small baby that you're cuddling and holding and comforting and warming, which is almost opposite to the natural, like, get away, <laughs> get away from me, stop, I don't want to do this, I'm going to distract myself. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Victor, um, who started Long Beach Meditation, he gave many talks on how, in mindfulness, you have to hold the crying child. You are the crying child, and we need awareness and practice present moment awareness holds that. And what I love about what you said is you brought up our tendency is we want to toss the baby out, <laughs> back over the, you know, we, we reject our vulnerability rather than embrace it. And uh, this beautiful book that we've been reading at Inside LA that I'll bring to you called, I think it's called My Grandmother's Hands. Uh, the writer says, when we reject our vulnerability, in ways that are kind of hostile to ourselves and disconnect, we're more likely to cause harm to others and ourselves. Mm -hmm. And as we embrace and unpack and work through, um, we become a vehicle not only for healing ourselves but others, mm -hmm. the traumas of the world. And um, the book is on collective trauma. And it, that would be a great exploration for our Sangha as well. Yes, Joe. I just want to comment on the power of, of, of a community where you can have somebody to express 
your feelings, to, to be able to say out loud in a, in a loving way uh, what's going on in your head. I, you know, I, yeah, I, 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 we're often advised to pause when agitated before we speak or send an email. But I, I, think, I think it's just as powerful when you are, are able to, to speak it out loud and, and share and, and maybe not with the person that, that it's directed towards, but uh, someone, someone safe. I think a huge, huge amount of power in that, which comes back to the song or the community. You have hopefully somebody, or many people. But yes, thank you. And on the beauty of our group and, and many groups is that with our presence, with our bodies and our beingness, and our, we create a field of loving kindness and a safety that many of us have not always had in some level. You know, we can do that for each other. So you can say something, you know, you can make the gap and feel okay. And uh, that's a great thing. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so we are at the end. I, I don't really like endings that much, so you may. <laughs> and um, we're going to end with um, dedicating the merit. And is there anybody who would like to dedicate the merit today? Anthony? <laughs> okay. All right. So, in gratitude of our dialogue on loving kindness and wisdom and strength and resilience, all those wonderful things, the beautiful merit that we've gathered here today in coming together, we take this beautiful loving healing energy and uh, send it out from this room to all beings everywhere unconditionally, to anywhere where there is suffering I include all the victims of natural disasters lately, to the people in Syria, the people suffering in Japan from a recent natural disaster, anyone suffering anywhere. May they feel our wishes, our care, and our love, our loving kindness. May all beings everywhere unconditionally be safe and free of harm. May all beings be healthy in body and in mind. May all beings be peaceful and at ease. And may all beings be loved, cherished, and cared for. It's our true wish that all beings be free of suffering. Thank you all. We you have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.